Welcome to the Talks on Law California MCLE podcast, interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now for the interview. In late January of 2021, the stock GameStop experienced one of the most high-profile spikes in stock history, jumping nearly 400% before crashing back down. Today, we'll take a look at liabilities, both criminal and civil, that may follow. Hello and welcome to Talks on Law. I'm Joel Cohen. Today, we have the pleasure of a few guests, first a law professor, and then to get the practitioner's take, we'll sit down with a couple of litigators. First up, he is a distinguished professor of securities law and corporations law at Duke Law School and my old professor, Jim Cox. Welcome to Talks on Law. Great to be here, Joel. Before we get into the details, Professor, have you seen anything like this? Never. I mean, I think we've all seen bubbles, but never the hysteria about uh, a particular stock that got the kind of traction that we saw happen with GameStop, where the, where the stock literally was shooting up you know, hundreds of dollars on the basis of no information at all, just on the basis of trading and largely trading by retail customers. Okay. All that demand side was there. I mean, I, there's some evidence now that some hedge funds got in and could see this happening. You know, some professional investors see the momentum carrying forward. But the momentum was really provided by the retail cut investors and for no economic basis at all. And this was driven partly through social media on the Reddit or subreddit Wall Street bets. Yeah. You know, I think it, it shows you <laughs> one of the ill effects of two things that are going on. One is what you just put your face, you mentioned Reddit, and that's a, a, a social media site, as we all know. Let's be honest, Professor, had you heard of Reddit even before Not GameStop? Not at all. I'm a, I'm a, I admit to being a hopeless primitive here, <laughs> and uh, I'm the old-fashioned old guy. I, I read the Wall Street Journal holding it in my hands, not <laughs> online, but, so I did not know what I read. So we're seeing the ill effects of, of social media, which it can facilitate individuals having uh, an alternative universe that they occupy. And you keep getting self-reinforcing uh, messages from other people who are like-minded. And so you take on the world. And the other one is the old economic saw that a free good will be overconsumed. That is that you had a number of, of brokerage houses, Robinhood is one, E-Trade's another, okay, that suddenly eliminated commissions on trade so that a person could decide to buy a stock, sell a stock, okay, for no commission. So there's no barrier to do that. There's no cost. No cost. Exactly. No cost. And, and the saw about that in economics is that if, 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 if suddenly you made apples free, then the world will overconsume apples, okay? A free good will be overconsumed. And it's hard to imagine that people would want to eat that many apples, okay? But the appetite for avarice, the appetite for making money, the appetite for even trading, okay, especially on Robinhood platform, that, that sends out all kinds of you know, reinforcing messages to you when you execute a trade, when your stock goes up, et cetera, uh, the appetite is insatiable. And that's what we found out in GameStop, I think. Professor, why don't we transition into some of the legal issues here. Uh, we had this freakish astronomical jump in price. Um, but beyond that, what was pinging on your legal radar uh, when you were 
following these events? Well, I had several questions there, and that is how uh, Robinhood or any other brokerage house that had these customers were going to cover those trades if the market started going the opposite direction. That is, investors put in an order to buy stock on Robinhood, okay? Buy me 100 shares, 1,000 shares, whatever it's going to be. And then under our regime, trade plus two days, they've got to come up with the money to cover that, okay? Now, the clearing that goes through that Robinhood just puts that order in through a clearing agency, those clearings require that the broker stand behind the trade because we don't want the customer to suddenly say, well, I bought the stock. It was at 200. I thought it was going to go to 300, but guess what? It went down to 50. The hell with you. I'm not going to cover that. If you don't like it, you can sue me, Robin Hood. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are called broken trades. And it's, uh, and so to eliminate the threat to markets by individual investors walking away from their trades, these intermediaries called clearing agencies require capital requirements. And so the intermediary, the clearing agency in this case, went to Robinhood and others and started saying, look, this is getting pretty iffy here. And so we're going to raise the amount of capital you have to have. And they can do that? There's no actual formula? They can just decide what makes them feel comfortable? As I read in the paper, uh, they have a, supposedly a formula, but it's negotiable. And they start off at a very big number. And eventually, I think what, what Robinhood had to come up with was about $700 million, okay? Yeah, which is a separate question we'll come back to in a moment. You know, what the hell would have happened if Robinhood hadn't been available to raise that amount of money, okay? Mm-hmm. So one of the phenomena that goes on is that when you have this euphoria for trading and it's driving stocks to stratospheric levels, as we saw in GameStop, okay? And it's all based upon no economic facts. What kind of risk does that pose to our orderly uh, capital markets? And more importantly, to the various participants in those capital markets. For example, if Robinhood hadn't come up with the money to be able to make its, quote, margin calls to cover the trades of its customers to see if, in the hopes that the customers would come in and do that, if it hadn't been able to do that, then what kind of a shock would that put to the clearing agency? As, and, and would there be any contagion? We know that there were other stocks, AMC, the movie house, other stocks that were getting caught up in the same hysteria. And so was this going to be a cancer on our market that would spread rapidly? So do you think there needs to be new legislation here? Is it a question of higher capital requirements? On February the 15th, there were the hearings in the House Financial Services Committee focused upon market reform issues. And the reason for these hearings was the phenomena we witnessed with GameStop. And the input that was being solicited were by individuals who had been championing for some time that we have to have undertake several reforms, in fact, many reforms uh, in our, the way in which our capital markets operate that we have gone through a period of time of not just the last four years, but quite frankly, the last dozen years, okay? It goes all the way back to early days of the Obama administration, where so much of what's going on in capital markets has been guided by what we call the sell side of the equation, the traders, okay? Uh, uh, you know, the individuals or others. 
And not when we think about the buy side, which is more the institutional investors, the people who own America, the insurance companies, the mutual funds, um, et cetera. And part of the sell side are the market centers, which are the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, the various trading centers around the country. And all of them have had a pretty good run at things for the last dozen years in terms of having rules that systematically favor them. One of the consequences of that is what we saw with GameStop. I mean, for example, how is it that Robinhood can sit there and say, we don't charge any commissions for trades, okay? You know, how is it that uh, Schwab got rid of uh, commissions on retail trades? And the answer is they figured out other ways to make money, okay? And that one of those things is the so-called, what we call payment for order flow. You're talking about the selling of customer data in one form or another. Exactly. I mean, it all, all comes back to, to data and selling data. And uh, so inter- the interest in Robinhood is to attract order flow. And then they direct that order flow in which they get a kickback from it. And the reason they get a kickback from it is they direct it to a market that'll pay them money. Well, why would the market pay them money? Because the market can then make money itself by uh, selling information about the orders, okay? Uh, it's a incredibly um, lucrative. So New York Stock Exchange makes most of its money by selling data, okay? And Professor, who are they selling to? Uh, who's on the other side of these data transactions? Yeah, they're, they're selling to people who use market data and their algorithmic trading and for other reasons to be able to. So that, you know, and then, you know, we have all kinds of questions. You have a public data feed, which is slower than the private data feed. So it means individuals who are willing to pay the money for the private data feeds uh, uh, have an advantage stepping in front of market changes. So the system is systematically and are widely seen as being rigged against those who are just buyers. That is, if I'm a buyer of stock or I'm a seller of stock, okay, I would like to make sure that it gets sent to a place where I'm going to get the best price, not sent to a place where my broker gets the best price for a kickback, okay? So that's one of the things. And, you know, the orders are structured this way in terms of you can shop them around. There's there's a whole bunch of microstructure issues that are on the table now. Why would we allow a market center, which is available to the public, to be able to make money by selling, allowing certain algorithmic traders to have their computers on site or closer to them so that they can step in front of trades? That is, it may be the speed of light, but it's still, if you start to the end point, closer than the next guy, you're going to get there first. Okay. Well, Professor, it's, it sounds like some of the inequality that you're talking about or the unfairness perceived or real was part of what was driving some of these retail investors on who were talking about it on the subreddit, that they weren't just trying to make money, but they were also trying to stick it to the big guy. They did. And you're right. They're, you know, at the at the heart of what I was just saying about problems with our market is a certain egalitarian notion that all God's traders should be treated equally. And I think what we saw the GameStop crowd saying you know, like that we've been treated unequal for a long time. It's now payback time. Okay. Professor, let's talk a little bit about short selling that played a significant role in this 
GameStop chapter. Uh, what was particularly interesting about the traders who were shorting GameStop and shorting it in great volume? So when you're shorting stocks, there, there is information about your short position, who has the short positions and the volume of that. And short, you know, short positions are you know, a valuable information source of, for, for people thinking about, gee, why is there such a big, uh, a lot of people who think the stock's going to go down, uh, uh, maybe ought to pay attention, start digging into it. So there's wide information that GameStop had been shorted and, and the short positions were increasing over time. Maybe we should explain what shorting means. It means you're essentially selling stock you don't own, okay? And betting the stock, which is now trading at 20, is going to go down to 15. You sell it then at 20, and you covered your sale by going in the market when it does go down to 15, if everything goes according to well. So you, you have to cover your short position. And if you, you know, your short position needs to be covered either by going to the market and, and buying shares at a lower price, or you borrow the shares from somebody and you pay rent on it. And many institutional investors make money on the side by renting out their shares to short traders. What we see is that this, their short position was building up. It was not by accident that GameStop is where individuals uh, focused their attention uh, because there had been some hype about GameStop having a new uh, CEO and uh, thinking about uh, going online, you know, it, you know, it's a bricks and mortar type operation right now, but that suddenly they would start selling uh, video games online. Otherwise, don't follow the blockbuster model, but follow <laughs> Netflix model. And uh, the consequence of that was that these you're playing into the street. You think about the individuals who are traders, uh, that they were driving this boom in GameStop are probably people who play video games. I don't know that, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just suspecting that that's, that's a strong place. You're talking about some of the people on, on Reddit who are active on Wall Street bets. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they, they see this, this short position and they think that somebody's attacking uh, their mother's virtue in a respect. And as a result, decide to destroy them by driving up the price of the stock of GameStop. And similarly, you know, we, we all want to go to movies sometime, but you see a short position in AMC and uh, movie theaters. And so you go after them and you start driving up the, the price of AMC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so far, you're telling the story of some institutional investors or some traders who see stocks that are overvalued. A bunch of retail investors, on the other hand, see those very same stocks as perhaps undervalued, but is anything tingling on your you know, law professor radar as being actually criminal or illegal? You know, at this point, I, I, I haven't. I mean, we're, we're learning more about uh, uh, Mr. Gill, who has been uh, planning stories on Reddit. Many of those stories were very optimistic about GameStop and other stocks. You're talking about Keith Gill, who was very active on the Reddit channel, uh, I believe his handle was deep value with uh, maybe an expletive in the middle. Exactly. I think that's right. Yeah. He was one of the many uh, visible individuals in touting GameStop. And if I my recollection is correct, that, that they are looking closely at some of his uh, representations about his trading and GameStop to see if there was anything there. I, I think that that Manipulation is such a difficult thing to prove and establish for a prosecutor that we have very few 
manipulation cases in all of American jurisprudence. And so I think it's unlikely. I think that this is a question that's best addressed by the regulators thinking about uh, it's systemic, as you mentioned earlier. And let's think about what the various contributing factors were and to what extent we can make markets better by maybe tweaking or getting rid of some of these factors. At the time in which this is happening, we're talking about it now, and when GameStop was in the press early February of 2021, that we didn't have a chairman of the SEC. The SEC is the regulator of American capital markets, okay? And that's what we're talking about here because we have a vacancy at the chair. Uh, you have a election. So we have a Democratic appointed chair. That chair comes in and appoints staff um, uh, uh, who are the leaders of staff and they help formulate the agenda. So at this point, you know, not that we have a skeleton crew at the SEC, but we don't have the leader in place that's going to be identifying, you know, what are my top three or four agenda items? Because that's about what you can get accomplished in a four-year term, hmm. uh, three or four items. And so is this going to be one of them? And if this is going to be one of them, you know what? I bet there's going to be another one or two other items because this is a biggie. A quick break for those listening for MCLE credit in California. The code for this interview is 21 Zero three twenty-three. That's two one zero three two three. And now back to the interview. Professor, it sounds like you have some very real concerns about the long-term stability of platforms that essentially sell their customers' data in exchange for the ability to offer those same customers free uh, or commission-free trading. But what's going on in terms of securities fraud or securities manipulation? Are you seeing that in the GameStop example? So I think there's anytime you see a fast run-up like this and you say that can't be reality, you do wonder if it's some level of manipulation and you look at it. But I'll just say that the regulators, that's a very difficult case to bring in as an enforcement action. And you're probably going to accomplish a lot more benefits to this public by treating this as, as you mentioned earlier, the systemic problem. There's lots of different issues that are now coming to the front related to GameStop that contributed to GameStop's run-up that we probably need to address in improving our capital markets, okay? We need to address the whole question about how market participants make their money. We need to address the whole question about are there guardrails that we have to surround on short selling? That is, we talked earlier about if you're a short seller, you have to borrow the shares. Well, does that put the lender of those shares at a risk? And I think the answer to that is yes. Then you have to ask the question about maybe we ought to have some sort of governor on how many shares you can lend to one person in certain climates. There's a whole range of issues out there uh, related to our operation of our capital markets. Correct me if I'm wrong, Professor, but at some point, the number of shares being shorted by traders actually exceeded the total stock issued for GameStop? That's exactly right. How is that possible? Well, it's, it's possible because a short sell, in a way, is a derivative. So we know that in derivative, so what's a derivative? 
Derivative means the value of this instrument that I have is determined by the value of another instrument. And these individuals on Wall Street, the financial gurus, figure out all kinds of ways of slicing and dicing risk and return for all kinds of things, whether it be peanut oil, okay, or game stock, okay? And so it's analogous to a, a put option. I have a right to put shares to you at today's market price sometime in the future, okay? A put option is a, an option in which the value of this option is dependent upon whether the shares go up or go down in the stock. And so the value is determined derivatively. So it's a derivative. And the issue with short selling is the notational value of all derivatives traded in any one day is a gigantic amount of the GDP of this country. Hmm. You're not buying widgets. You're talking about, I'm having a speculation about what's going to happen to the price of widgets. And people can have endless speculations about that. Okay? I mean, it's a little bit like the Super Bowl. I'm sure perhaps more money was bet on the Super Bowl than the players collectively made in the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Maybe then collectively, the, the, it was made uh, through advertisements. That's a derivative. So do you think this recent episode, if you will, will increase scrutiny on short selling, perhaps having regulators consider new uh, constraints on short selling? Oh, I do. I, you know, there's, there's quite a groundswell out there for trying to do something about short sellers. And who is that groundswell? companies that are not performing very well, whose stock gets shorted, okay, their managers hate short sellers because the short sellers are saying, you're not very good. You're not good at what you're doing. You're underperforming. You're failing, okay? And so short sellers, as we start, or earlier said, is a bit of information that a class of investors who follow markets closely think that this stock is not going up, but it's going down. And so therefore, our bet is not that it's going up. We're going to bet and make money that it goes down. And then it's in their interest to publicize that, that they think that because they'd like to have it go down. So that other investors will sell pushing the stock down further. Yeah, exactly. So, so short sellers are not a favored species in the boardrooms of American companies because those people in those boardrooms they like really good report cards, not somebody that's standing outside saying you cheated or you're not doing very well. Now that SEC has a new boss, Gary Gensler, do you think the SEC under Gensler will be taking some action on this topic? I do. I think that this is right up his alley. And I think we couldn't have been uh, better blessed than to have the appointment that uh, President Biden made uh, to the chair of the SEC as Gary Gensler. He was formerly the chair of the CFTC, Commodities Future Trading Commission, during the financial crisis. He should certainly know what he's talking about. The youngest person to ever, ever make partner at Goldman Sachs for 20 years. Uh, he, was, he was a very strong regulator on a, a regulator side of the CFTC. He's coming into a new area. He's not a, quote, securities law person because he came out of this other world called uh, futures and derivatives, et cetera. But our problems are analogous to that. He understands the role of all these market intermediaries and the contests have been battles between the buy side and the sell side people for 
not too many years right now. So I think that this is going to be a major, major area of change, and it will be fought on one side on the, uh, very fiercely because it, the individuals who have the money to lobby, et cetera, are on the sell side. They're not the funds. They're not the people on the buy side of the transaction. They're the Goldman Sachs of the world where he came from. So it's going to be a very interesting time for financial market regulation. It may not be as exciting as bringing enforcement actions, but on the, on the ground, it's going to introduce profound change to our capital markets. And I've got to think it's for the better. Well, Professor Cox, I'll let you get back to the, the papers or student memos that you're reviewing. And thank you so much for taking the time to Zoom in with us today. Okay, good. Great to see you, Joel. And I, I recognize you, even, even though you now have more hair on your face than you had as a student, if I remember right. It's been a few years since I had the pleasure of being in your corporation's class, but it is always wonderful to see you, Professor. And to our viewers, thank you for watching Talks on Law. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash MCLE podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting edge interviews on the California MCLE podcast.